Well, good morning. Man, it, it seems like it's happening more and more these days. I mean, have you noticed? We don't seem to know exactly what's causing it and why it's happening, but it's happening. Cars are being swallowed up. Trucks are being swallowed up. Even houses are being swallowed up. Three-story condominiums, neighborhoods. Florida leads the nation with over 15,000 verified, what do you call them? Sinkholes. There are 17 insurance claims a day due to sinkhole damage in Florida. 17 claims a day. Now they, they finally begin to think that maybe a lot of our, our ponds and even our lakes are the result of sinkhole formations that over time our, our sandy soil seems to give way to dried up underground streams. During times of drought, these streams underground dry up and then the earth gives way to a sinkhole and the surface caves in. And I'm sure we all remember this story about a year ago of uh, Jeffrey Bush. I think he was 37 years of age. He sleep at night and a sinkhole happened and it literally swallowed him up. They didn't even find his body. But what I find so amazing about these sinkholes is that one day everything looks so normal. And then the next day, it's gone. Kind of like Robin Williams. You know, from a distance, everything looked normal on the outside. Confident, capable, productive, gifted, generous. But on the inside, a sinkhole-like cave-in, a soul fatigue was happening. And as we saw last week, many times, uh, many of us are living such hurried, overscheduled lives that it's taken a toll on the human soul. Sinkholes are showing up in our lives because we're overspent, because we're overscheduled, we're overworked. Dried up streams of living water are gone. And now we live with this chronic sense that there's just never enough time to get everything done and, and we go through life in a hurry. And we talked about last week how we need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our overscheduled lives. Soul fatigue. And soul fatigue shows up in our body with tension, in our, uh, tension and pain in our back or in our neck. Soul fatigue shows up in our relationships when we become irritable and impatient with those that we love. Soul fatigue shows up in our emotions when we find it just too easy to get discouraged. It's just we're easily discouraged when good is never good enough. Soul fatigue shows up in our heart when something just feels like something is missing. We struggle to be fully present, fully live in the moment. Unfortunately, some of us are going through life with bitter disillusionment. Bitter disillusionment over a dead-end job. Bitter disillusionment over a dying marriage. Bitter disillusionment over deceitful children. Bitter disillusionment of a disappointed life. There are sinkholes growing inside of us because our soul is slowly deteriorating. And no one knows it no one sees it. Some people know it, but no one sees it but God. 
But we try real hard, don't we? I mean, I mean, on the outside, we try to, you know, present and keep up our public image. We seem to manage our public world very well. I mean, if we're honest, we respect and we glorify traits like being overscheduled and being overworked and overspent because those are the signs of being an important person. Those are the signs of being a successful person. I mean, it's, I'm amazed by all the news reports on the latest, um, her name slips me, 81, just passed away. You know, and what everyone talks about is just how she goes, 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 and she's just goes, 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 goes. We, we magnify, we glorify the outward symbols of success, and we want those things so we will feel important. All the while, we're cheating, we're neglecting our soul, and nobody knows about it until it gives way to a sinkhole like cave-in when fatigue and failure and disillusionment and defeat all become a frightening possibility because we've neglected our soul so long that no longer can it hold up the outside persona that we try to project. You see, the most important thing in your life is not what you do. It's who you become. Can you say that with me? The most important thing in your life it's not what you do it's who you become so how do we become a replenished soul how do we grow and develop our soul three thoughts this morning number one is this we grow from the inside out say it with me we grow from where the inside out now that's pretty basic you know we've heard that before but many of us, we've grown up in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s when greed was good, you know, and success was all about how you looked, you know, and we'd buy those books or see those books on how to dress for success, you know, a gray or a wine color, a, a gray suit with a wine color tie, you know, and I, I don't know how the women are supposed to dress, but, you know, I mean, that, that was all the, the fat of the day was how to fake it until you make it, you know, and many of us never made it, we just kept faking it. And I was with a friend this week, and uh, a friend whose friend, uh, his son, 17-year-old son, recently, uh, this, this month, committed suicide because he was not accepted in a certain Ivy League college. His resume, his, his pedigree wasn't going to be complete unless he got into school and all of a sudden life became not worth living. We grow from the inside out. Ten years ago, I think this Christmas, um, my oldest son, Raymond, after he finished college, he went to, uh, for, I don't know if it was a couple months, whatever it was, to what's called the Focus on the Family Institute by, by James Dobson to kind of really uh, take some time out. We were very proud that he made this choice and grandparents helped pay for it. And he went to Colorado Springs and he really focused on feeding his soul and probably snow skiing too. Um, and we drove, we got the kids in the car, got Janelle in the car, we drove all the way to Colorado Springs to be there for his graduation. And then we decided, you know, we ought to do some snow skiing uh, too. We've never been to, I've never been snow skiing there and snow ski many times in the Carolinas but boy is it different boy is it beautiful don't ever go because you'll never like going to the Carolinas again or anywhere else probably I mean it was just it was unbelievable now two years earlier you know in the Carolinas I, I learned how to snowboard with my boys you know and I took up snowboarding uh, I ended up in the emergency room um, so so this time I decided you know what I'm going back to skiing you know so we got our skis on, we took off, and, and uh, man, th th those slopes are long. 
down that mountain. And I'm, I'm kind of like, usually lead the pack. I lead the family, you know. I don't stop real well, but I like going fast, right? And so I'm just flying down the mountain, just telling people, get out of the way, you know, I'm, I'm coming, you know. And about two times down those long ski slopes, man, I was breathing so hard. I lacked the inner strength and stamina that I used to have as a skier. Now, lucky for me, Jan was kind of coming up from the rear, and I keep telling the kids, you know, we need to stop to let mom catch up so I could get a breath, you know, and then take off and go again and try to beat the kids down, you know. And, and, um, and, and you know, we were waiting on Jan, and she'd get there. But I was dying inside, dying inside. And too often in life, we do the same thing. We're tired. We're out of breath. But we just keep going. We just keep sucking it up. We just keep pretending that we don't have a problem, yet we know we have a problem. We just keep going in our own strength, in our own outward strength. Kind of like the disciples. Do you remember the story in Luke chapter 8? When the disciples found themselves in a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee. And now these guys, many of them were what? They were fishermen. I mean, they knew all about storms, but yet they were terrified. They lost their composure all the while Jesus was sitting in the back of the boat. Let me read you the story in uh, Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they got in a boat and they started out, and on the way across, Jesus lay down for a nap. And for a while he was sleeping, the wind began to rise, A fierce storm developed that threatened to swamp them. They were in real danger. The disciples woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. So Jesus rebukes the wind and the raging waves. The storm stopped and all was calm. And then he asked them, Where's your faith? Where's your inner strength? We grow, guys, from the inside out. Why is it that during tough times, so many of us, we panic or we toughen up? Or we attempt to run even faster and faster rather than getting in touch with our soul? I shared with you last week, about a month ago in July, man, I got a chance to get in touch with my soul. It was so good. It just just changed my perspective. It was just so healthy to pause and and to get in touch with your soul. Where is your faith? Ezra Benson said, you know, the Lord works from the inside out. The world works from the outside in. The world would take people out of the slums. Christ takes the slums out of people and then they take themselves out of the slums. The world would, would mold men by changing their environment. Christ changes men who then change their environment. The world would shape human behavior, but Christ can change human nature. The most important thing in your life, it's not what you do, it's who you become. What matters most is not your accomplishment, it's not your achievements, it's not where you go to school or what degree you completed. What matters most is the person you become. Because when you die and you go to heaven, guess what you're taking to heaven? Nothing but you, your soul, what you have become. That's why Jesus asked that question on several occasions. What would it Gain, what would you gain if you gained the whole world and you were to lose your very soul? 
So how do we become a replenished soul? Well, we grow from the inside out. And number two, we guard our hearts. In Proverbs chapter 4, matter of fact, um, we're getting ready to start in two weeks a new series in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is one of the, probably the book of the Bible that has transformed and has changed my life more than any other book of the Bible. I remember when I was a teenage boy reading that book, and then as a young man, and even as an adult, uh, I love it. And we're going to be doing a series called Making Our Lives Work. But in, in Proverbs chapter 4, we get a, and I don't want to take too much thunder, but we get a powerful passage. Here we got like a father, and it is a father in the context, and he's, he's like talking to his sons probably, um, and maybe his daughters, but he's talking to his children. They could have been teenagers, they could have been younger. He pulls them together in Proverbs chapter 4, and in verse 23, he says this. Above all else, above, above all else, kids, above all else, guard your heart. For it affects everything you do. Now the Hebrews see the heart as the center of one's emotion. We talked about that last week. Our will and our desire. And the father is lovingly trying to tell his son to guard your heart, son. Guard your heart from sin. Guard your heart. Guard your soul. Your soul needs a keeper. And you are the keeper of your soul. Guard your heart. Guard your soul. Let's listen to John Ortberg share his version of the story that's called the folklore that's called the keeper of the stream. Let's let's watch on the screen. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were as old as the earth and as deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. High in the hills, far beyond anybody's sight, lived an old man who served as kind of keeper of the stream. He had been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches or fallen leaves or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. Nobody supervised the old man anyhow. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect, services to offer. And giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the creek into stagnant bogs. For a time, nobody in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live somewhere else. It no longer had that crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some in the town began to grow ill. Everybody noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the stream that fed the town. You see, the life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. So the city council reconvened, the money was found, the old man was rehired. After yet another time, the springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, 
and children played again on its banks. An illness was replaced by health. The swans came home. The village came back to life. The life of the village depends on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul, and you are the keeper. Wow, great story. The stream became polluted because the keeper of the stream was gone. Are you guarding your heart? Are you guarding your soul from sin? It affects everything you do. Sin soils the soul. It clogs up the spring, the stream of life. And as we saw last week, the soul integrates the mind, the will, the body together. And sin, what it does, it disintegrates them. It tears them apart. It causes soul fatigue. Your soul cannot function properly when sin is present. The Apostle Peter warned us. Peter said this, Keep away from worldly desires, sinful desires, that wage war against your very souls. Keep away. Stay away. The psalmist prayed, Bless the Lord. Read it with me. O my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. You see, it's my soul that connects all of me together. It makes me feel whole. It's my soul that makes me feel healthy. And so when I'm connected together, what do I want to do? I want to connect to my Father. I want to praise the Lord. I want to sing to the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Sin soils the soul. That's why man's basic problem is a problem of sin. Because it soils our soul. And sin not only soils the soul, sin splatters. Sin splatters. You know, you can guard your heart. You can choose not to sin. But once you choose to sin, you let go of control of your choice to the sin. I mean, David. David chose to commit adultery with Bathsheba. Once he made that choice, he let go of control. And he tried to control the consequences, but he, what? He couldn't control the consequences because sin splatters. You can't control the consequences. It splatters. And even though God forgave David, David led, lived with the consequences of his sin for the rest of his life. Ezekiel said, the soul who sins shall die. The person who sins is the one who pays for it because sin, it splatters in our life. Now apparently, many of us think the laws of consequences don't apply to us, right? You know, I can speed without getting caught. I can spend without getting into debt. I can let my temper go without damaging my relationships. I can have a bad attitude at work and get away with it. I can avoid disciplining my children without them getting spoiled. I can neglect my soul and still love God. And our capacity as human beings to live in denial is, is just amazing. To live in denial that there is a consequences to our choices. There is a consequences to our sin. And it has a huge effect on our soul. We are polluting the stream and is doing damage to our soul. Sin soils the soul. Sin splatters and sin separates us from God. God's a holy God. But we have this kind of this orientation inside of us to sin. 
And now we know this, and we've read about the story of the fall of mankind in Genesis 3 when sin entered a perfect world in which God created, and Adam and Eve chose to sin, and as a result of their sin, their souls were, their souls were soiled. It's hard to say those words together, right? Their, sin, their souls were soiled, and sin splattered in their lives, and they separated them from God. And since the fall, we have this orientation towards sin. We refer to it often as original sin which means it originated in Adam and Eve, but it's been passed down to us. You see, we sin because we are sinful. We don't sin and become sinful. We have a sinful nature. And because we have a sinful nature, something is broken inside of us. Something is wrong with our very nature that, that, that we have this leaning towards sin. And you just can't deny that. I mean, look at the world. Look at the world today. Look at all the evil in the world today. You know, and you just see it. You watch the news and it's like, oh, you know. And the truth is that evil's always been there. And that truth is that evil is in us. We just don't want to see it sometimes, but it's there. And that's why we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts we sin because we have a sinful nature. Because we have a sinful nature, we do sinful acts. We, we lie, we cheat on a test, we cheat on our taxes because we're sinful. Humans have the habit of sinning. And just listen to ourselves talks. I mean, you can be a Christian for years. I've been a Christian for a long time. And, you know, you still, you, you examine your words sometimes and they're self-serving. They're self-serving because they come out of a self-serving heart. Jesus made this diagnosis very clear a long time ago. He told his disciples this, keep watch, guys, and pray. In other words, guard your hearts, guys. Guard your hearts so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit, your will is willing. But the body is what? It's weak. Sin sickens our soul. And now we've inherited this sinful soul that separates us from God. It causes us to live an unhealthy life, not a, not a fully integrated life. It's just in our DNA. And we think sinful thoughts. And we can forget some of our thoughts, but that's what? Our soul still remembers. We can forget our past deeds and consequences, but our soul still remembers the things we forgot. And that creates separation from ourselves and others and separation from ourselves and God. Sin soils the soul. It splatters. It separates us from God. And we need to live with a fully integrated soul. And so what do we do? We use words like, man, I feel like my life is falling apart. You know what we're describing? A divided soul. I just can't get my act together. I got a divided soul. I'm coming apart at the seams. Thomas Aquinas wrote that our neediness, our sin of the soul, it should be a pointer for us that we need God. You see, our soul begins to heal and replenish itself when we humble ourselves and when we acknowledge our basic humanness. Rather than being in denial, we own it. And we acknowledge that I'm a sinful person and I have sinful thoughts. You see, confession is good. 
for the soul. Say it with me. Confession is good for the soul. The soul is healed by confession. David talked about this in the 32nd Psalm. He said, blessed is the man or happy is the one whose transgression, whose sin is what? What is his sins done? It's forgiven. Whose sin is covered, is atoned for. David says, blessed or happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. David's saying, you know, it's good to be authentic. It's good to be real with God. Look at verse three. For when I kept silent, when I refused to confess, my bones wasted away, though my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. David's soul felt soiled and separated from God. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. A sinkhole was forming in David's soul. And then look at verse 5. Let's read it together, can we? I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Confession is good for the soul. Like the prodigal son coming to his senses, like the sinful woman who bathed Jesus' feet and her tears. Our soul is hungry for God's forgiveness and God's grace. We must confess our sins. But please remember, please remember, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it's not what you did, it's not your sins, it's who you become. It's who you become. We replenish our soul when we grow from the inside out. We replenish our soul when we guard our hearts and we replenish our soul when we feed our souls. Our souls are hungry. Our souls are hungry for God. Our souls are hungry for grace and forgiveness and love. Our souls are hungry for truth, God's truth. David said, the law of the Lord is perfect. And what's the next word? Reviving. Replenishing our soul, the soul. Now the psalmist paints a beautiful picture of a replenished soul and probably my favorite psalm. My favorite psalm, Psalms 119 and then Psalm 1 is probably my favorite. And Psalms 1, let me read it to you. The psalmist says, blessed is the man or blessed is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the ways of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. David's saying, you know, blessed, happy is the person who guards their soul from sin, who guards their heart from sin. And then look at verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, now what's the law of the Lord? That's what? That's the Bible. It technically be the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. For us, it's the Bible. And he said, blessed is the man, happy is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Now, what is he doing with the word of God? It says on that law, he does what? He meditates. He's feeding his soul. He's feeding his soul with God's word day and night. Now, look what he is becoming in verse 3. Beautiful picture here. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither. He never loses his leaf. And whatever he does prospers. I'd like for you right now, if you would, just, just I want you to close your eyes. I want everyone to close your eyes. And I want you to try to visualize this verse, verse 3. I'm going to read it to you again. So just go ahead, close your eyes, 
and try to visualize this verse. I'll read it. He, she is like a tree. All right, so right now you ought to be picturing a tree. Okay, it's real hard. All right, you got a tree. And he's a tree planted by streams of water. So you got your tree there by a brook, by a stream, maybe a lake, which yields its fruit. Do you see a lot of fruit on your tree? I don't know, maybe it's mangoes, apples, I, I don't know. But you got fruit on the tree, right? You see this in your eyes, in your mind? Keep your eyes closed. Some of you are cheating. And then it says, whose leaf does not wither. Do you see a resilient tree? Do you see a strong, beautiful tree that can overcome the adversities of life? You are that tree. You are that tree. Now look up and let me ask you a couple questions. First question is this, where, where was the tree planted? Where was the tree planted? By what? No. Where was the tree planted? In the Middle East. Trick question. In the Middle East. In the ancient Middle East. Where trees were what? Rare. Rain was scarce. Deserts were plentiful. But here's this tree that's planted by streams of water, no longer dependent upon uncertain weather conditions. It had a permanent, consistent source of life, the stream. Now, what's the key to this tree receiving this source of life? What's the key, uh, what's the, the key to the strength of the life of a tree? It's, it's what? It's roots. Now, when you closed your eyes and you saw your tree, did you see roots? Probably not. Because the roots are hidden, Right? But it's the hidden things that gives life and strength and resilience to the tree. Remember, the most important thing in your life, it's not what you do. It's not what people see. It's who you become. It's the development of your roots, your soul, your private life that nobody sees. Last question. Those roots are reaching down to what? What is it reaching down to? Streams of water. And what are they a picture of? The streams of water, the word of God. Your soul. The roots are your soul. And they're reaching down to the, the streams of water, the word of God, so that their souls would be replenished, so their souls would be fed. Because the most important thing in your life, it's not what you do. It's not what you achieve. It's the person you become. Because when you die and you go to heaven, the only thing you're taking with you is your soul, is the person you are becoming. Can we bow our heads? Can you join me and pray to yourself and say, God, help me to become the person you want me to be. God, help my life to be about you and not just about me. You know, the Apostle Paul saw himself 
as the chief of sinners. He was so vividly aware of his own sin that he could not conceive that anybody else could be worse than him. I wonder this morning, could you call yourself a chief of sinner? Can you be so vividly aware of your own shortcoming, your own DNA, your own humanness, your own sinfulness, that you can say, God, I'm a chief of sinners. And then I want to encourage you to spend some time to confess your sins. Spend some time and clean the pollution of the soul. Acknowledge your sinful heart, your sinful acts, your sinful thoughts. And maybe this morning you seeing your sinfulness is pointing you to God. Maybe for the first time you need to pray right now and you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you from the consequences of your sin. You need to say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.